We've been teaching on a subject called well done, something that the Lord said he would do. He would talk to people. We would give an account. You know, I think some people don't realize someday there will be a day of reckoning for every human being on the earth. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be like going, uh, you know. But what's so cool about this day of reckoning is the Lord told us, you know, we're saved by grace. We get rewards, though. And uh, how things end up for eternity is determined on how we do things here. And uh, so when the Lord talked about his second coming in Matthew 25, he shared a story how that this ruler had given gifts and talents to everybody, different ones, and that people were required to do something with the gifts and the talents that they had, and then they would give an account. And so one of the people uh, said, you know, you gave me this many talents I put them into practice while I was here on the earth. This is why you don't want to wait, you know, to use your gifts and uh, your abilities. And so he put them into practice and he doubled how many he had. In other words, he, it would be like if he had money, he invested it and got back. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he said, you know, some other stuff, but right in the middle, he said, well done. We all want to hear well done when we get there. And, uh, and he gives us instructions, but sometimes, you know, people will sit there and say, I don't know what talents I have. I don't know what I'm called to do. And so that's kind of what the outline of this series is, is what is the common denominator that all people are supposed to follow. Now, I know there's callings beyond that, but you really can't even enter into things beyond properly if you're not doing this right. And so, what is this fundamental target that everybody should be aiming for? And that's what we've been talking about. And so, Matthew 28, Jesus said this, and this really is the target or the fundamental thing that every believer should be aiming for here on the earth. Matthew 28, and it says this in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Basically, if you look at all the scripture, when Jesus died and rose again, he stripped Satan of his authority. And then he gave that authority to us. And so when he said, it's been given to me, then he commissions us, go therefore and make disciples. The key to the target is to make disciples. That really is the fundamental thing in the kingdom of God, is make disciples. Be one yourself and make disciples. Everybody is supposed to make a disciple. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple is explained right here as we read on. He said, 
Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now that doesn't mean like, you know, countries, but it really is people groups, all people. He said, make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to do all that I commanded you. So a disciple, the word disciple, you see the word discipline in there. And so we know that when he said make disciples, he said teach them to do what they have been taught. What we don't want to do is just learn and not do. Be able to tell everybody the right answer, but not do it. That is super important. You know, we don't want to be spiritual chipmunks. Somebody's like, what are you talking about? You ever seen chipmunks? They just gather and gather and gather. They fill their cheeks up. They don't even eat a lot of what they get. They just store it over here and store it over here, store it over here. And uh, I had even heard one time because I thought, man, these guys must have a great memory. You know, they're just storing this stuff. Come to find out they didn't. They just store it and then they go try to find it later. Well, the idea of being a disciple is not just to store things, but it's actually to put into practice. To put into practice. In other words, we talked about, what was it, two weeks ago, how God has forgiven us, but the question is, have we forgiven ourselves? So we didn't want to just teach that, and I believe God led us to do that. I don't believe he wanted me to teach that so you could go tell somebody else, you need to forgive yourself because God has already forgiven you, but then you don't forgive yourself. In other words, you're still carrying the weight of it. Not only should we tell other people, we should practice things ourselves and lift the load of guilt off of our life also. You understand what I'm saying? So when we're teaching these things about um, making disciples, it's not just what we're doing for others, it's what we're doing for ourselves too and how we're putting these things into practice. So today I want to talk about two areas about being a disciple or being a doer of the word. In other words, am I acting on what I know? Am I reaching people? Am I helping people to move forward in their walk? And am I being a disciple myself? Are you ready? There's two areas I want to look at today, and uh, they're vital to the Christian walk. They're vital to a believer's life. And um, you can be religious and not experience these but God wants you to experience these areas right here. These two areas are vital. Vital to our walk, vital to our relationship. And we're going to talk about uh, drinking and eating. So we're all going to go to the buffet after church. People are like, are you serious? No. But there is a drinking and eating that the Lord talked to us about as believers. In other words, 
salvation is not just an experience where you accept the Lord and you're made new and then you tough it out all the way till the end because you know you don't want to go to hell. You know God's good. I've had this massive experience or I've come to know him and man, this is awesome. But on the way, God wants believers to drink and eat. Those are actually terms that the Lord talked to people about, about drinking and eating, drinking and eating. In John 4, 14, he had met a woman who uh, had what we would call maybe a deviant life, you know, especially under Jewish law. She had been married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, and now this uh, lady is not just married and divorced. Where did I tell you to turn? Okay. I don't know why I was turning to Matthew because I thought, I've done that before. But John 4, so this woman all of a sudden, after uh, she's been with five guys, now she's just sleeping with another man outside of wedlock. And under the Jewish law, that's like a major no-no. And uh, technically, somebody like that could be stoned to death. But she is a Samaritan woman. She's kind of outside the covenant. And so the Lord encounters this woman and uh, she doesn't really have a relationship with God like the Jews did. And so uh, Jesus was hungry. His disciples went into town to get food for him. And uh, while he's sitting there, uh, he starts witnessing to this woman. But before he does, he said, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And she was astounded that he was a Jewish person and he wanted to talk and was willing to talk to her because they thought they were unclean. And, and uh, she said, why are you asking me for water? You know, why are you doing this? You know, Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. And what happened was, was Jesus said this, if you knew who I was, he said, you would have asked me for living water instead of this natural water. And I would have given it to you, and then you would never thirst again. Never thirst again. So right here in John 4, and we'll begin reading in 13, it says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. In other words, the water that he wanted to get a drink from her, he said, if I drink this, I'll be coming back here to drink some more. But the water that I give, notice this, but, the, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, now think about this, this water only comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through religion. It, it doesn't come through, you know, any other way. In other words, it doesn't come through right living. It comes through Jesus. And he said this, I shall give him, this water I shall give him, he will never thirst. 
but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he said, I have water, and uh, if you don't know me and haven't received me, you can receive me, and when you get this water, it will be in you. And it will try to come out of you and flow through you and bring satisfaction to you. And he said, you'll never thirst again if you get this water in you. Well, this woman didn't understand correctly because she goes on to say, the woman said, sir, give me this water that I will not come here to draw anymore. She totally missed what he was saying. But notice what he said. Eternal life should be a satisfying thing to a believer that will quench hunger or quench thirst in our lives. In other words, we don't have to go anywhere to find spiritual satisfaction. And understand this. There is a natural and a spiritual satisfaction. And so we're going to look at the other one, and then we're going to go back and talk about these. If you go down to the 32nd verse, uh, Jesus has gone through this encounter. This woman uh, has left and is going back into town to tell all the men I'm, I, you know, in town, I met a prophet, I met the Christ. He's out there. This Savior's there. You guys all need to come. Well, while she's heading home to tell and round up the city, the disciples come back with their Happy Meals. Said, here you go, Jesus. And he looked right at him and said, "Um, I don't need that. Notice this. Uh, John 4, 32. He said, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. We talked about water, living water. Now we're talking about some other kind of food that these guys didn't know anything about. And he even commissioned them to go get the natural food. And he said, I have spiritual food. King James says, I have meat. He said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Isn't it interesting? Both of these things the world doesn't know about. But we're not to keep it a secret. But do we even know that there is a way to partake of water, living water, and spiritual food or spiritual meat? Notice verse 34. And Jesus said, well, we'll read verse 33 first. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? See, they're thinking like that woman. You mean, I don't have to come back to this well? And he's thinking, no, it's spiritual. And here they're like, did somebody bring him a sandwich or something? What's going on? And, he, and they're thinking somebody slipped him some food, he ate it, and uh, he's just satisfied. And it goes on to say, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. How do we eat bread or meat, spiritual, and how do we drink spiritual water? 
they're, they're different. They're distinct. They both have distinct effects in our lives. In other words, you can't just live off water. Would you agree? And you can't just live off of food. You need water or liquids and food. And Jesus talked about both of these, and they're both obtained in different ways. And that's real important because you can get saved and have living water and start partaking of that, but you need to be fully eating things with nutrients, and so you need meat or sustenance. One cannot substitute the place of another. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 4, probably most people are familiar with this verse, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You could say it like this, real life in the earth does not just happen because you eat natural food, because you live a natural life. What he was trying to say is there is something beyond the natural that will do for you what nothing else can do. And that is super important. Because if I try to substitute natural, then I'm not going to be satisfied to the degree I could. Now, now don't get me wrong. Some people might think, yeah, it's just all spiritual. No, it's a mix of the two. There are satisfying and fulfilling things in the natural, but they cannot take the place or substitute the spiritual. A lot of people in the earth have a void because they don't have salvation. They're not walking in the will of God and partaking of meat. And therefore, they have this void and they wonder, how can I satisfy this? So they go craving after natural drink or natural meat and uh, other things, other people and everything. And then you see a depraved humanity who are searching. And when that void is not filled correctly then people will try to fill it with all kinds of other things. And so while we're in the kingdom of God, if you're here today and you've given your life to the Lord, realize this, you can partake of some natural things, but remember, you've got to fill that void first. You have to fill the void. Not just get saved, but get saved and learn how to experience salvation and then how to partake of that meat by walking in God's will. And so when Jesus said man will not live by bread alone, you know, there are pictures of this uh, in the Bible. In Psalm 105 verse 40 and 41, the Bible talks about how God brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And when he did, he supplied two things for them in these verses. They were thirsty and they wanted food. 
So it says that he caused water to come from a rock, and then it said he caused quail to come from heaven and manna from heaven. Now, if you think about it, there are quail on the earth, but it talks about the influence of getting things from heaven. Getting things from heaven. Man was created to be in union with God. More than just, I know him, but to walk with him. To walk with him. If I walk with him correctly, all my other relationships are going to benefit. If I don't walk with him correctly, uh, my relationships with others will be affected. You know, some people think, well, if you love God and you really put him first, they get scared because they think it's going to ill affect their relationships. I've heard people say that. No, if you really put God first, it says, how can you say you love others or love God if you don't love others first? In other words, how can you love, is how it reads really, how can you love him whom you do not see if you do not love the ones who you do see? So you can see if I really love God, it's going to affect how I love other people. That's huge. In other words, I'm going to learn about how he loves me. That's sure going to affect how I love others. Haven't you ever been around people that are real gracious? And it seems like that wears off on you and you start thinking, oh, I need to be more gracious. And I know when I first gave my life to the Lord, I was like, man, he's so good. I need to tell everybody about how good he is. I mean, it had a direct effect on me. So when we talk about putting God first in our lives, we're not talking about neglecting things. Are you with me? Because I wonder if sometimes people think that, that that's what we're saying. So anyway, the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, which Bible scholars believe it's a picture of Christians coming out of sin. So he brings them out of Egypt. They go into the sea after they come out of Egypt. The Bible even said they were baptized in the land and in the sea by Moses. So it looks like a picture of baptism. As soon as they came out, what starts happening is he, they're hungry. You know, you can give your life to the Lord. You can get tempted after you give your life to the Lord. To do wrong. And, and, and hunger after something we shouldn't. But the Lord wants us to partake of spiritual things so those things don't really get a place in our life. And so I want to turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. And we're going to look at this in a little bit of detail. Because if I'm to partake of salvation... I'm going to tell you there's a couple of ways that will benefit you immensely. We say them in different ways, but if I want to experience salvation after I've given my life to the Lord, what is salvation? Salvation is literally getting the life of God into your spirit. A complete change of spiritual nature. Not emotional nature, 
Now, it will try to affect that or your physical, but in your spirit, you become brand new. You get the Lord's life in you. Well, if we went to heaven, if everybody had the opportunity once in their life to have a vision and go to heaven, we'd all be blown away. But that's not afforded to all of us. But that doesn't mean we can't experience heaven on earth. And that God hasn't done something for us when we've received him to experience heaven on earth. And when we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, he comes in, he puts that life in us. But could I get thirsty after spiritually? He said I don't have to. Here are some real practical ways. Share your faith with other people. Share your faith with other people. Share your faith with other people and watch what happens. It's like a drug. What do you mean? When you acknowledge what you have, it's just kind of how God designed things. You know, when I do marriage counseling, I, I have a, for a while on one time, I talk about your life being your own universe and things needing to be in order. You know, and if things are out of order in your life, it's kind of like your universe gets out of whack. The moon's too close. The sun's too far. You know, we know if the moon is in the wrong place, tidal waves start happening. Are you with me? If the sun's too far away, we're in trouble. And so there's an, a certain order to people's lives. And God has designed our lives and, and designed things that we might partake of living water. And, and one way to get order, so to speak, in your universe is to tell people. Tell people. Tell your testimony. Reach people you will find that salvation will start dominating you. Another person you are supposed to talk to about your salvation, you ready? Yourself. Yourself. You are to openly confess or declare with your mouth your own salvation. You are to talk to yourself. You know, the, the world, secular world, has realized the value of encouraging yourself. Man, we have David doing that thousands of years ago in the Bible. When everybody talked about stoning him to death, they were going to kill him. They were all for him one day, and things changed, and now they're all ready to kill him. David got by himself, and it said he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But there's a greater dynamic when you acknowledge what you have in the Lord, not what you're trying to get, you will find it will begin to dominate you. You should look in the mirror sometime and go, you look good, spiritually. We're working on the hair right now, but, but beyond the hair... You know, I've been there, you sleep on it funny, you push it down, it pops back up. You can't just say, well, you look, well, you look good spiritually. You've got life in you. 
And when you acknowledge, it's like taking a bucket because it's in your spirit. It's like taking a bucket and lowering it down, but it's your mouth. And you say, I have eternal life. I've got the very nature of God in me. I received it through Jesus. It does something for me. If you will open your mouth, it will change you. I said, it'll change you. David killed Goliath because he was willing to open his mouth when nobody else would. They were trembling. They were afraid. And David comes up and starts talking about how big God is. And uh, he said, God will do this work. It's interesting, the rest of them spoke negative. David started speaking positive before he ever saw anything, and things began to change. That is a very simple and powerful way. If you're really tempted by alcohol and drugs, why not drink? Somebody said, serious? Yeah, living water. If you would give time to doing some of the things that we would do naturally, give that kind of time to God instead of sitting and drinking, what if you just started saying, I have living water in me? I have living water in me. What if that was like sipping through a straw? I have living water in me. 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 You're like, man, you're repeating it too much. Just like you repeat sipping a Coke through a straw over and over again. How many people have criticized you for that? That tea you're drinking, you just keep sipping on it. Now that sounds kind of funny. Who would ever really say that? But it's interesting if you praise God for a little bit and say the same thing a few times. People are like, what are you doing? But I mean, how many people buy, you know, I've been in the grocery store. I'm not a big soda drinker. But you see people buy cases of the same kind of soda. Next time, make fun of them. So are you going to keep you gonna drink all that? The same thing? No, don't do that. Don't make fun of them. But you get the idea of what I'm saying. That there is an opportunity to drink, and the way the Bible states it is, what comes out of your mouth is actually how you drink. That's why we encourage people when we're singing songs on Sunday morning or Sunday night service like tonight, we'll say, hey, let's go ahead and sing. Why? Because it's more than just giving praise to God. It's actually drinking. It's actually drinking. What comes out of your mouth is drinking. Are you ready? We'll move on to the eating part. And we'll look at some of this. What is the eating part? Eating is doing God's will. Doing what you know to do. Following after the Lord when it doesn't always feel comfortable will cause you to partake of something. 
It's interesting when Jesus was reaching this lady, he called reaching somebody, doing God's will. And he said, when I did that, he said, it did something for me. How many times have we done different aspects of God's will and we got done doing it? Maybe it was just getting done with church and we got done and went, wow, that was good. That did something for me. Well, it's God's will for us to be together, to gather together, and to do church together and do life together like that. And we leave and we think, man, I'm satisfied. Why has it been so long? Anybody ever been there? And then you're like, man, that, that did something to me. I mean, I've heard people say that after they left church, they weren't even hungry. Well, they acted in line with God's will. So look at this in Philippians 4, verse 11. We're going to close with these verses. But there are some ideas here that will help us. Because if we're uh, to drink of living water and to partake of uh, spiritual food that will satisfy us, there are uh, reasons why God wants us to be partaking of certain things. Because if we don't partake of certain things, what happens is uh, then when there's a spiritual void in our lives, there becomes cravings for other things that are inappropriate. Are you with me? And those cravings can grow. And we can try to fill those cravings that can't be fulfilled with anything but something spiritual. Now look at this in Philippians 4, and uh, it's not a verse we've probably read a lot, but it's definitely a good one. Well, the Bible's good. But Philippians, the fourth chapter, the 11th verse. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. This is a huge principle for believers. Whatever state we're in, we need to become and learn to be content. Are you content where you're at right now? Are you content married? Are you content single? Are you content at your job? Are you content in your neighborhood? Are you a content person? The Bible talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. We, we gain something when we become content. What is it to drink of things and eat of things? Don't they cause contentment? I mean, right isn't part of Thanksgiving tradition. You eat and take a nap. You're like, ah, contentment. You, you, you know what I mean. There's an element of contentment. When you're content, you know, at, you know after you've eaten, it's like then I don't have an appetite toward other things. And when he said, I learned to be content, notice this. He learned to be content. 
verse 12, I know how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. I've learned. I've learned. You know, we can learn to be content. You know, some people aren't content. They'll just buy every trinket, every little thing, all the time. They, they don't know how to not spend. We should learn to be content with what we've got. Now, now if you're not careful, or if we're not, we might think that I'm teaching don't spend. No, there's, there's a right amount to spend. But the idea here is learning to be content. Learning to be content. He said, I've learned how to be content when I'm hungry or when I'm full. Wow. You, you could see that even our society doesn't teach be content when you're hungry. Now, I don't believe God wants people to starve, but we have commercials that if, if you have an attitude, you turn into a different person, and the only cure is to eat a Snickers. And you know that can't be true, because nobody would do that. They'd go for a Milky Way. Well, you know, they're like, you know, you got a bad attitude, so I just eat something that will fix my attitude. No, learn to be content in whatever state we're in. I don't, don't talk to me right now, I haven't eaten. You get near me? No, I've got to learn to be content. I need to hold myself back and become content. Thank you. Because isn't that true? Like some people know, don't get around them, they're hungry, they haven't had their coffee, this could be really bad, we, but we've got to talk to him, Mom. Take your chances. No, we should learn to be content. He said he learned how to be content. Boy, that would be a spiritual exercise. <laughs> But how, how do I become content? I partake of the right things, for one. He said, learn to be content. He did it. And it, isn't it interesting? He went on to say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. He gives strength to me. He'll help me to be content. Here are some things that happened to us if we're not content spiritually. If I have a void where I'm not content, then when there's no contentment, I will start having a desire for other things to reach out to them and start filling my life with things that really cannot fill that place. Now, when I make these statements, it doesn't mean be content. If you're single, you just stick with it. If you don't have money, just be content. If you don't have this, just be content. That's not what he was teaching. Because he talked about after how God would supply every need of yours. But what he's saying is if we're off kilter in this area 
And we've probably all experienced it. You know, we weren't content where we're at, so I got to have this. And it can make us compulsive or allow for compulsive behavior where now I'm trying to find fulfillment in this thing and in this thing and in this thing to be approved by other people because I haven't found my contentment in the Lord. And we don't want to leave this area void for what, for what it causes. That hunger then or desire starts reaching out to other things and, and we wonder, why do I seek after these things? Learn to be content. It's better to have those voids filled in your life with contentment than add a person to your life. You're in a good place then to add somebody to your life. Are you with me? And I'm not talking just in marriage. I'm talking in, with friends. Learn to be content. Then you'll add more to them. That will add more to you. Your relationships will be better. But if I'm not content, then I'm going to just be like, you know, what was that movie Land of the Lost with Will Smith? when he had some like giant mosquito on his back and he's like, I feel dizzy right now. And the thing's like sucking all the blood out of his body. We don't want to be like that. And I understand we're all growing and how we do relationships, but isn't it better to add to somebody's life? But I can't add what I don't have. But if I become content, I have something to add. And, and, I, and I understand relationships, there, are, there is a receiving part from them. No doubt about it. it. It would be a false statement to say, well, relationships are all about giving. No, we can see the biggest, most fundamental relationship there is, is with God. And that is a giving and taking and giving and taking relationship. But what God wants us to do is learn to be content. It, it will stop certain kinds of compulsions. Or at least give us an advantage to be able to look at them in an appropriate light and go, wait a minute, why have I always run after this? I'm satisfied now. I don't need that. Or if I do get something, it adds it to my life in a way that is uh, more proper. Is everybody with me? These things are so helpful to us. We need to partake. We need to keep our universe, so to speak, in order. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. I'm not saying don't buy something. But I know, I, I know people, just probably like we all do, I, I, I had a friend who was married, and uh, sad to say, the marriage didn't work out, but the only way she was content if she was buying stuff. And uh, thankfully, he was a business owner, or that could have really hurt, and, uh, but it would have been better for her to have the stuff and have contentment first, because then the different things, she wouldn't have been looking at them to fill a void and think she was going to get something out of them. 
But if she was satisfied and had those things, they would have a completely different place in her life. How she would approach other people would be different. Because she's not finding her fulfillment in things or that those things are helping her image. She has found her image in the Lord. She has found her fulfillment in the Lord. And so those are just things. Everybody with me? You're not leaving yet, right? But that being said, contentment, godliness with contentment, is great gain, and we can learn to be content. It's kind of just adjusting your own life, making sure your priorities are right, and, and learning to partake, because we otherwise we'll go after strange things or have a pull to go after strange things. And how many of you know this? Life was made for you to be fulfilled. Life was created by God for you to be fulfilled. He doesn't want you to be unfulfilled. He doesn't want you to be unsatisfied. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm full of want. Right? Psalm 23 in the retarded, messed up, tweaked translation. No, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So God doesn't want to twist that idea, but realize it's not about just getting, it's being satisfied yourself first.